ever had a hard time figuring out um, what God is up to <laughs> in your life? Have you ever thought about that before? <clears throat> Have you ever felt like there's a gap between what you, what you see God doing or maybe what you don't see what God is, is doing and what your expectations were? Have you ever felt that gap, felt the tension of that gap? God's doing something, but I don't understand it. I don't get it. Or I thought God was going to do something and he's not doing it. And I just can't comprehend it. Well, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1 today, and we're going to look at the story of Joseph and some things that God taught Joseph in that, and basically how to bridge that gap. And here in Matthew 1, God's creative power is seen through the birth of Jesus, and it really stirred up the entire world, but specifically, it stirred up the life of Joseph. It changed his perspective. It changed his life. There was a lot that he didn't comprehend, a lot that he didn't understand. And so the question for us this morning is, when there's a gap between God's creative action and our lack of understanding, what do we bridge that gap with? How do you fill in that gap? Do we fill it with anxiety? Do we fill it with the attempt to control things? Do we fill it with faith? Do we fill it with trust? What do we fill it with? And that's what we're going to look at today. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, specifically verses 18 to 25. And this passage in Matthew really gives us the uh, condensed version of Christ's birth. Um, but before this, before these verses, we find a genealogy in the first part of Matthew. Genealogy is just kind of a big word for family history. And you see uh, from Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, you see through the generations... Uh, who was the grandfather, who was the father, who was the great-grandfather, you know, all these things. When we read the Christmas story in Luke, we see Luke's more interested in the story of the birth of Christ, you know, so that part is going to be longer in the book of Luke. But in Matthew, Matthew's more interested in establishing the legitimacy of Christ as descending from the line of David, that Jesus is the rightful inheritor of God's promise to David. And, but it's not just boring history here. Matthew's setting up the fact that we're entering into a new age. And so Matthew begins with the old, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he ends with Jesus, the Jesus who was called Christ. You know, it's interesting. Jesus was actually a fairly common name, a fairly common Hebrew name at this time. And so Matthew wants to make sure that people know what Jesus he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's his office. It tells us something about what Jesus came to do, what his role is. He is Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And so we come to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so in Matthew here, we're moving from the old to the new. We're moving from the old to the New Testament, of course. And here in Matthew 1, there's an event that's occurred that's going to change the course of history. And Matthew goes on to, bring, to give a brief description of how Jesus was born. In fact, Matthew states that the birth of Jesus took place like this, or the origin of Jesus the Messiah was like this. This is how it happened. And Matthew's saying this is the beginning. This is the genesis of God doing something new. It really parallels Genesis 1-1 uh, in many ways. In the beginning, God created, right? 
And now he's creating something new. In fact, it's really interesting. Early believers looked at the work of Christ, especially his resurrection, as the eighth day of creation. And so in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God moved on the face of the water. And now he's moving again. The Spirit is moving again, and he's coming upon Mary and creating the one who's going to bring salvation. And Matthew says that before Joseph and Mary came together, before they consummated the marriage, Mary became pregnant. And scripture says Joseph had in mind, or that he resolved, to divorce Mary. You know, when we read this, sometimes it seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? I mean, Joseph's going to divorce Mary even before they're married, and he's going to leave her at her most vulnerable point. But it's helpful to understand the context here. An engagement itself was viewed very differently at this time than it is now. There are two stages of marriage in biblical Jewish culture. One was betrothal, and then maybe one year later, the wedding feast and the consummation of the marriage. And betrothal was a parent-arranged contract, and it could only be nullified by divorce. In other words, engagement at this time was a legally set event, even before the marriage. It was a binding contract. And the events in these verses in Matthew are taking place between the contract and the wedding feast. And there were real legal concerns here that come from the law, from Jewish law. We find a lot of this law in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 says, If a man happens to meet in town a virgin, pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. So at this time, there could have been a public trial or even an execution. But even beyond the law, there were social concerns. In a patriarchal society, which is a big word just meaning that men hold most of the power, most of the leadership, most of the property and the wealth and the inheritance. In this type of society, the firstborn son was the most important way of ensuring family standing, ensuring property transfer, ensuring future within the society. And if this baby was conceived by another father that was not Joseph, well, it throws off the entire balance of the system, and it puts Joseph and his future family in a very tenuous position. And everything in culture and the law is almost forcing Joseph to divorce Mary at this point. In fact, Matthew says that Joseph was being faithful to the law in his idea to divorce Mary. And Joseph was going to go out of step with the norm and do what he could to preserve Mary's dignity and her future, even if that future could not be with Joseph. You see that? And that's what Joseph's wrestling with here. There were two options. Joseph could publicly condemn Mary, possibly leading to her death by stoning, or he could divorce her. And so this idea that Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly was actually a massively countercultural response of grace in this context. He was working with the options available to him in that culture, and he was doing the most grace-filled thing he could do with the options available to him. However, God had other things in mind. God's not bound by our options. He's not bound by our perspective or our human laws. You know, God can create something out of nothing. And he sees Joseph's heart, and God delivers Joseph a staggering message, one that turned Joseph's world upside down. 
one that turned the whole world upside down, and one that created a mile-wide gap between Joseph's understanding and God's activity. So in these first two verses here in Matthew, we see that God is a creating God. God is a creating God. God's enacting his salvation to the world through the miraculous creation of a baby boy with no earthly father. It's the genesis. It's the beginning of something new, something amazing. And this creative miracle comes smack dab in the middle of confusion and anxiety for Joseph. Think about your own life for a minute. What type of confusion or consternation are you dealing with right now? Think about the possibility now that God is doing something miraculously creative through that upheaval, through that time of disorientation, through that anxiety or that fear, through that sense of having a lack of resources. What is God doing? Because God's a creative God. He's working in your life and he's working in new ways. It's the genesis. It's the beginning of something new. And so what's the staggering message of God to Joseph. Matthew 1, verse 20, says, After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And that word considered, it really has the stronger sense that Joseph has already made up his mind. He looked at his options, and he decided what he would do. But something's about to happen. An angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. Now in scripture, when we see angels come into play, we know something big is happening. And God intervenes here in a big way. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David. Now if you look at Matthew 1.16, in this genealogy, in this family history, it shows us that Joseph was the son of Jacob. But if you look further up the list, you're going to see that Joseph was a descendant of King David. So God's reminding Joseph that, yes, you're the son of Jacob, but you're the son of the promise of God. You were the son of God's plan. And many years ago, God made a promise to his people, and God always keeps his promises. 2 Samuel verse 7 Chapter 7, verse 12 says, When your days are over, this was the promise that God made to David and to his, his line. When your days are over, you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And as Joseph is weighing his narrow options, an angel appears to him in, in a dream, and the angel says, Don't worry. Mary is a noble woman. The baby she's carrying is Jesus, the Savior. The angel basically tells Joseph, don't pull back from this in fear. Don't cut your losses and run. Don't do what's expected of you. Actually, go the opposite way and do something socially unthinkable. Take Mary as your wife. Count her as that treasure, that gift from God, because that's what she is. The angel says, God's up to something amazing here, Joseph, but you're going to find that out only if you go against every instinct within you and go further into this commitment than you've ever gone before. And when you jump off that cliff, plant your feet firmly on the edge, and with all the strength you have, leap into the cloudy unknown. James Boyce writes that Joseph initially, what Joseph initially understands as the righteous thing to do is challenged directly by the call of God to act precisely opposite what he saw and expected. 
And what happens when our notions of righteousness and justice come up against the ways of God's creative mercy? In Joseph, we meet one who risks becoming disobedient in the eyes of the world, becoming an outcast of family and community, and dare we say, even becoming sinful and suffering for the sake of being obedient to the call of God. And so here in Matthew, Matthew's really challenging us to come to a new understanding of what righteousness is. What does it really mean to follow God? Well, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Is it more than just following the law? And this was big news at the time because the law held such an important place within Hebrew society. And it shows us that God's creative power transcends our understanding and gives us unexpected options. God's a creating God. He's doing things new. It's the genesis. It's the genesis of something new. He's creating something new. But this creative power is often something we misunderstand. It's something we don't comprehend. It transcends our understanding, but it also gives us options we didn't anticipate. And remember, you and I, were sons and daughters of the promise. The promise of God's salvation and deliverance in your life. The promise of God's favor over your family. And if you're discouraged today, let God remind you who you are. You know who you are because of who you belong to. Your identity comes from who you belong to. So who do you belong to? You belong to your father, this father who makes promises and always keeps his promises. Aren't you thankful for that? Think about your own life for a minute. Are you struggling between two difficult choices? Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel inhibited or trapped. And I believe God in his creative power is gonna intervene on your behalf. He's gonna give you an option you never previously thought about, something you've never considered. A lot of times, you know, we're, we're limited by our own understanding or comprehension. And we ask the wrong questions, frankly, a lot of times. We limit God in our own minds and we ask, well, should it be this? Or should it be this? And a lot of times God says, nope, it's neither. And we see this over and over in scripture. John chapter nine, verse one, Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been born, born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, somebody sinned here, and who was it? Was it the, the man who was born blind? Did he sin or was it his parents? Because it's gotta be one of these two things. It's either the man or the parents. So who was it? And Jesus says, nope, neither. It's not either of those options. I'm doing something new here. The woman at the well, you remember in John 4, she said, you know, our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you people say that we should worship in Jerusalem. So which is it? Should we worship on the mountain or is it Jerusalem? It's a big debate. Is it the mountain or Jerusalem? And Jesus says, nope. It's not either one of those. It's not about the mountain, it's not about Jerusalem, it's about something else, it's about something more, it's about something deeper. And God's a creative God and he wants to make a way for you where you currently see dead ends and bad sets of choices. This is because God's ways are higher than ours, meaning God's work and perspective and power isn't limited like we are. God operates at another level and so God's creative power transcends our understanding and gives us unexpected Options. And going on, Matthew 121 says, She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. 
The name Jesus is actually the Greek version of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, which means to save. And Matthew here is citing Isaiah 7, 14, which says, for this reason, the Lord himself will give you a confirming sign. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. You, young woman, will name him Emmanuel. And here in Isaiah, this is a perilous time for Israel. They're in some trouble. But in the middle of this trouble, there's also a promise. There's a promise to be freed from tyranny of the Assyrians, who were the power over Israel at this time. And so this idea that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, means yes, he's with us in his imminent presence, but also that even in a time of social transition and upheaval, the people of God can remain strong because they know that God's ultimately in control. There's the promise of something to come. There's the promise of someone to come. And the coming of Christ was a global shakeup to the status quo. And it's clear from this verse in Matthew that Jesus is the one who's going to bring salvation. Jesus is the one who will bring salvation. It comes from no other source than this miraculous baby who is going to grow up to be a prophet and a priest and a king. And the salvation will be specifically from sin, Matthew says. He will save his people from what? From challenging times? No. From unanswered questions? No. The Savior is going to save his people from their sin. It's not necessarily going to be deliverance from political oppression or persecution. And many people got that mixed up, even during Jesus' time. Remember, they wanted to make Jesus a political king over Israel. And they surrounded him at one point. They said, Jesus, we want to make you king. I think you, you, can, you got this. And Jesus said, nope, it's not that. It's not that. I got to be about my father's business. My kingdom is about something more. Jesus rebuffed that because his kingship was greater. It was more all-encompassing than earthly power. And this baby is the one who is prophesied, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. There's a prophetic nature to these verses here in Matthew. It's a reminder that God is both living and he's active. He's working in your world. Not just during the time of the Bible. Right now, God is working and he's the one true God. He's at work in our real world. These prophetic words speak not just about future things, but about God's authority over all things. That God's work in the world is the story, it's the narrative that God's creating. And the way he relates to creation and humanity, the ultimate solutions he provides for sin and brokenness, the great hope we have both right now and in eternity, those are real world events that impact you and me. And God's creative power reveals his plan and your part in that plan. His power reveals himself to you and he reveals his all-encompassing plan and he shows you what your part is in that plan, just like in Joseph's life. And through God's word, we're reminded that we're not alone. We're part of something bigger, that God's story, God's action in the world is larger than our individual lives. And God invites us into this world-altering story. God says, I'm doing something amazing. I'm doing something new. It's the genesis of something new. Do you want to see it? Do you want to know it? Do you want to be part of it? And so in Matthew 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. 
but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. When Joseph woke up, he knew what to do. He obeyed God's instruction through the angel. It's an expression of the power of God, really, in our lives to take what currently exists, our confusion, our anxiety, our fear, whatever it is, and to turn it 180 degrees in the opposite direction. That's what God does. Psalm 30, verse 11 says, You turn my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and covered me with joy. Psalm 40, verse 2, You took me out of unstable conditions, out of the watery pit, out of the slimy mud. You put my feet on a rock and gave me secure footing. 2 Timothy 1.7, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. He takes our fear, he takes all this other junk, and instead it's the great trade. He gives us power and love and a sound mind. And so even now God's creating. God took a man who had resolved to divorce his betrothed. And through the supernatural revelation, God completely altered Joseph's decision. Joseph didn't question, he didn't argue, he didn't refuse. Joseph responded by obedient action. Joseph's really showing us what it means to be a faithful disciple. Following God means obedience, even when we don't understand. Luke 6.46 says, says why, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I tell you? You know, Jesus is saying, we can't call him Lord unless we submit to his lordship. If Jesus is going to be the Lord over our lives, we must submit to him as the King of Kings. He shall reign forevermore, just like we were singing before. James 1.22 said, be sure you live out the message. Live it out. Don't merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. You know, James says there's a deception that goes on if we believe that we can hear the voice of God, ignore it, and continue on our way. And how does Joseph obey? He made Mary his wife and honored her. He welcomed this child, Jesus. Joseph took this child, this unexpected challenge, this opportunity full of questions and wanderings, and Joseph received the child as his own. He named the boy Jesus. He adopts the child as his own. He takes this unexpected circumstance and he adopts it. And maybe God's speaking to you this morning, something he's doing in your life that's difficult, that's challenging, and God says, look, I don't want you to run from that. I want you to adopt it. I want you to take it in. I'm doing something new in your heart. Are you willing to hear it? Are you willing to listen? And Joseph names the boy Jesus. And there was a conundrum here. You know, Jesus needs to descend from the line of David, right? According to the scripture. Well, Joseph's from the line of David, as seen in the family history here in Matthew 1. But Joseph is not the father of Jesus, not the earthly father of Jesus. God is the God of the unexpected. And through God's creativity and Joseph's obedience, God turns Joseph's heart around to make room for the king of kings, to adopt this miracle of a son as his own. God takes Joseph, an earnest young man who normally would be forced to break off his relationship to his betrothed, and miraculously turns him around to not only accept, but to really double down and invest and commit completely to this new miraculous family. He takes a patrilineal genealogy where it follows the male bloodline, and he inserts Mary. And you see that at the end of the genealogy in Matthew. After all these guys, boom, here's Mary. 
And God says, look, I have a plan. I know how things work in your culture. I know how things kind of work and the laws and everything. But God says, no, I'm doing a new thing. It's the genesis of something new. I'm a creating God and I'm doing something new. I have a plan and I'm implementing that plan. And God enabled Joseph to adopt Jesus as his own son so that you and I might be adopted by God the Father. Galatians 4, a great reminder of this. Galatians 4, 4, when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Father. We become part of God's creative plan through obedience. That's what we see here in the life of Joseph. Joseph had to respond to God's revelation somehow. I mean, he had to move from listening to obedience. Otherwise, it would have been a deception, right? Like James was saying, don't be deceived and just listen to it. So if Joseph was not going to live a lie, he had to respond somehow to what God was speaking to him. He had to move from listening to obedience. And when we come face to face with the work and the action of God in the world, we've got a choice. We can passively watch from the sidelines or we can make a determined effort to take God at his word, to not be a bystander, but to be part of the movement like Joseph became. And so what's our response to the joy and the anxiety of the unknown? When there's a gap between God's action and our understanding, how do we bridge that gap? How did Joseph bridge that gap? Well, three things to wrap up. First, perspective from God. We need God's perspective. We, you know, you and I, we've got a culturally conditioned way of seeing the world. That's how it works. It's how we agree with other people on what's acceptable and what's appropriate on what's expected in any given society. It helps this whole thing work together. And this isn't a bad thing, but when Jesus came into the world, he began to challenge some of these bedrock assumptions of humanity, of leadership, and of morals. And Jesus mostly challenged the religious leaders of the time. Joseph had a perspective of how things should go and what his options were in a given situation. And God just blew them out of the water. So are we willing to allow the perspectives we have of the world to be shaped and formed by the Almighty God? Are you willing to let go of your conceptions as God gives you his new revelation, his creativity in your life? Secondly, are we listening to God? Are you hearing the prophetic voice of God in your life? You know, prophetic words in scripture, like those we read in Isaiah today, they're not just about future telling. They're about reminding us that God's working in your world. The world is a story that God's telling, and he invites us into that narrative. Are you allowing him to remind you that you're part of something bigger? It's greater than your own plans. God's overarching plans are greater than our own individual challenges and hurdles in life. Now, this doesn't minimize our personal trials, but it does put them into perspective. It puts him into context. God's got a plan for the world, and he's faithfully and consistently working out that plan. And if we're willing to listen, like Joseph, we're going to begin to see the role God has for us in the plan. And it's better than anything we could think up. And lastly, obedience to God. God's revelation demands a response, right? What are we going to do now that we know what God's told us? And Joseph had to do something with that understanding, that commission that God gave him. Now, he could ignore it, or he could receive it. And Joseph obeyed. And so we integrate God's creative work within us when we obey. Where, you know, the, the will and plan of God, the work of God, doesn't just become a good idea. It doesn't, it, it goes beyond that, beyond that theory, into becoming a part of us. 
Obedience allows you to integrate the work of God into your heart to actually bring change and transformation. It has to go beyond a good idea. We've got to obey the Lord. And Joseph had to turn away from his initial conception of how things should be. He had to surrender those to God. And then he had to act on the revelation that God had given him. God's perspective, listening to God and obedience to God. As we close this morning, I want to invite the worship team to come up and uh, just think on, you know, how can we apply this to our lives? What has God shown you to do? You know, is he asking you to turn away from something or turn towards something? Is he asking you to repent of of short-sighted thinking, maybe, or the desire to control events. You know, Joseph had to turn from a lot of things in these verses, a lot of things that were very close to his heart. You know, following Jewish law was not something to be trifled with. Going against the flow is a challenging thing at any time in history, in any culture. And that's what Joseph had to do. That's what God asked him to do. And God's writing the story. So the question for us is, are we going to be part of it? Are we going to be part of that story? And maybe you've struggled with bridging that gap between what you see God doing and your own understanding. We need to remember that God's a creating God. He's creating something new. He's doing something new. And that creative power is often beyond our own comprehension. That's normal. But God gives us options that we never even expected, that we never believed we had before. And we get that through his creativity. God's creative power reveals his plan, who he is and what he's doing, and he reveals our part in that plan. That's what Joseph found out. And we come part of God's plan through obedience. You know, what you and I see in the story of Joseph is that God is working and he's holding everything together. God's working in your life and he's holding your life together. Every breath, every day, every moment. He's the author and he's the finisher. You know, Jesus came at just the right time. Your future rests in the salvation of the King of Kings. He shall reign forevermore as your hope. It's your future. You've been adopted into the kingdom of God as full sons and daughters. But are we getting his perspective? You know, are you and I really listening to what he's speaking to us? Are we obeying his calling even when we don't completely understand? And maybe this morning you need to reestablish that in your own life. You need to be reminded of that, that he's the God of your present and your future. And just at the right time, God's going to intervene in your life in a powerful way. He's going to give you options you never considered. He's going to give you resources you've never had before. But it means that we've got to listen to his voice like we've never listened before. It means that we're going to have to obey him like we've never obeyed before. And maybe you feel like God's been stirring something in your heart. He's a creating God. He's doing something new in you. And let's respond to it, all right?